Sam Husseini is our guest on Geopolitics and Empire. He's a DC-based independent journalist. We will be discussing COVID-1984, as I like to call it. But more importantly, we'll be discussing the biodefense and biowarfare arms race that is every bit as dangerous, if not even more so, than the nuclear arms race. Let me just remind listeners to subscribe to all of our channels on social media, share, like, and leave us a podcast review, as well as a donation, if you can, via Bitcoin, Patreon, or PayPal. I would also urge listeners to subscribe to our email list that includes our podcast interview and a collection of important news headlines. So, okay, thank you for joining us, Mr. Husseini. Good to be with you. I thought we'd start with an important quote from your latest uh, article, which says, quote, people who are dismissing the possibility that the pandemic might have come from a lab, either accidentally from a Wuhan lab or them being effectively framed, as we saw with the 2001 anthrax attacks, are basically risking the future of humanity because they don't want to have an uncomfortable discussion. So, end quote. So it seems that people fall into two camps on this issue. You know, people who are heavily invested with this idea that public and prestigious private institutions are, are holy and never corrupt. And then there are others from the other side who are a bit more uh, skeptical. And so when I have discussions with people who are bought into the official narrative, uh, usually they're involved in medicine, they never seem to address uh, any of my factual scientific uh, concerns related to political corruption, gain-of-function research, some of the documented history, and so on. Uh, they tend to ridicule and repeat the CDC, WHO, Bill Gates uh, spiel. So before we go deeper, could you tell us your thoughts uh, on, on this struggle and this, this debate? Absolutely. There is, you know, sort of a third position, which has in the last month or so gotten a lot of play. And that's a sort of demonized China position and that their labs are bad and that U.S. labs are good. That's certainly the position staked out by Tom Cotton. It seems to be adopted to some extent increasingly by Fox News and the Trump administration. And it's also resonating in parts of the Democratic Party. Christopher Murphy, Democratic, I think he's a senator, seems to be fingering the Wuhan labs in, again, a, you know, you know, attacking China sort of posture. And I think that part of the liberal position of idolatry of, you know, scientific research and so on that you allude to, or, or you know, the, the alleged establishment, the alleged scientific establishment, um, I think that they are partly, and this might be too generous of a reading, that they're partly motivated by uh, a reaction to the you know, fear of the demonizing China that, that some of the right wing um, is doing. But I think that their general compulsion to just simply trust institutions is, as you say, extremely dangerous. I mean, we we look look at what we've lived through. Look at what we. What we're seeing now, the financial collapse, the entire economic profession largely complicit uh, with the housing bubble and so on, it, you have fields which are corrupted uh, and corruptible. There's been so much money, especially after uh, 9-11 and after the anthrax attacks, you know, which were clearly designed to, to finger Arabs, either Saddam Hussein or Al Qaeda, with you know letters that went out to members of Congress and uh, members of the media with you know "Death to America" scrawled on them, and used as justification by media pundits to to ramp up the attacks on Afghanistan and Iraq, as well as ran through the Patriot Act. Uh, all of that happened in 2001. We still haven't gotten to the bottom of that. Whatever there was a mechanism there that effectively framed uh, Iraq and Al-Qaeda and so on. 
we, we don't know if we are in a similar mechanism here or that uh, it, it simply was what it appears to be, which is uh, a, an accidental leak from one of the labs in Wuhan. And I'm open-minded. I mean, I don't, I haven't, I don't feel like I've seen definitive evidence. I don't know that it, what, it had nothing to do with any lab. Um, I still hold that out as, as a possibility. I just don't understand why a lot of people, including the media from early on, including a concerted effort uh, from a lot of well-connected scientists in the Lancet letter and the Nature Medicine article, um, are dismissive or attempting to distract from the possibility uh, that it came out of a lab, whether that's a lab in Wuhan or whether that's some other lab that effectively is attempting to frame the lab in Wuhan. Mm -hmm. I would agree with you, and I, I think we should keep an open mind. Uh, I do as well, and uh, you know, as we get new information, we should recalibrate uh, our thinking. I, I'm from the evidence we've seen so far. I mean, my opinion is I think it, it did come. Uh, from a lab, but again, which one? That, that's that's a difficult question to to answer. We've discovered, I think, it has been reported lately that Anthony Fauci and the NIH may have violated a moratorium on gain of function uh, research. I, I think it was in 2014, uh, and that funding went to the Wuhan lab from the U.S. It was something like 3.7 or 4 million dollars, and I believe it was today. I, I don't know if you've seen it that Mike Pompeo came out and defended that U.S. funding for the Wuhan lab. Uh, so what do you make of that? Uh, things are changing rapidly, so I might have missed something, as you say, um, but it's my understanding. I mean, I saw a piece co-written by at least one of the virologists at the, the Wuhan lab, uh, the BSL-4 that they have there with North Carolina, uh, U.S. scientists at University of North Carolina and Harvard and some other universities. And in that document, which did do gain-of-function work and published in 2015. This is a year after an alleged pause in gain-of-function research. And, and for your listeners who aren't familiar, gain-of-function basically means you're doing lab work that's attempting to make a pathogen more deadly. Uh, this is allegedly for the purpose of anticipating what the terrorists or what nature will throw at us so that we will be able to better combat it. They got the first part right. They don't seem to have done anything that's useful to us at this point. Uh, but it's my understanding that in, in, in that document, which was also published, I believe, by Nature Medicine in 2015, they, they, they say that they got an ex exemption and there were exemptions for this gain-of-function research. And they also notably didn't initially disclose their funding uh, from USAID in that document or from this outfit called the EcoHealth Alliance, which has, has also been very vocal in uh, pretending that you know a leak from a lab is virtually inconceivable and doing other things to sort of muddy the waters and and, and has been involved um, with with this research of collecting viruses, pathogens from bats, manipulating them, and so on. They, one of their represent, their president um, was on Democracy Now! and was just giving a total puff interview. Democracy Now! depicted the possibility of a lab release as, as Trump's position, not a position, not, not a concern of a great number of 
people, including scientists, but it's Trump's position and therefore implicitly it needs to be dismissed. Democracy Now! didn't even acknowledge at that until that show well into April that there was a lab in Wuhan that, you know, might have conceivably been the, the release. So I, I think that, 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 that I mean, that there, there are several corruptions going on here. One is a scientific corruption and, and one is a journalistic uh, corruption, which I think extends to a, a great deal of, uh, of me, at least the U.S. media. Beyond the uh, origins of COVID-19, which, you know, it's still hard to figure out, you ask a perhaps even more important question uh, in your latest Salon uh, piece, the fact that governments around the world have been for decades, uh, perhaps even, you know, going back a century, experimenting with all kinds of uh, biological Warfare and research, gain of function, uh, trying to make pathogens more deadly, uh, as you say, experimenting on their own populations. We know the U.S. has has done that, perhaps none more so than the U.S., I'm not sure. You know, what are the dangers of this biodefense industry and this biological warfare arms race? This is something that Francis Boyle, um, who I know you've had on the show, has written about. He wrote the relevant U.S. law implementing the Biological Weapons Convention. And the Biological Weapons Convention presumably made any kind of biowarfare illegal. Unfortunately, they've attempted to get around that restriction led by the United States to basically say, oh, we're not doing biowarfare, we're doing biodefense. And part of biodefense is anticipating what the terrorists or what nature might throw at us. So we have to create more deadly pathogens so that we can figure out how to combat them. Well, you know, that, that, that's, it, it could well be a simple pretext. And of course, the scientists who do this work ultimately don't have control over um, what they create. Um, the governments and government agencies um, ultimately have control as to what use their work will be put to. So I think that the danger, regardless of what the cause of this uh, pandemic is, the, the danger is, is very real, uh, both in terms of uh, risks of accidental leak, uh, and, and there's a long and documented history um, of them that I go through in, in my uh, two articles uh, from 2014 to 2017. There was actually a reporter at USA Today who documented all of these leaks and studies about leaks in U.S. labs and so on. And prior to that, there was a, um, and just this last year, there, there was a leak at Fort Detrick, which now has, they're, they're about to open the biggest lab, apparently, in the entire world. So there's been this dramatic escalation of these labs. They, they do have accidents. And they, they were, I mean, it's sort of an insane loop that you have here because, again, on the, during the anthrax attacks, the best information we have is that they came out of a U.S. or a U.S.-allied lab, this anthrax that was obviously designed to appear as to looking, you know, as if it came from a... Um, you know, U.S. hating Arab of, of some variety, but it came out of a U.S. lab. And what's the reaction? To dramatically escalate the spending on these bio, quote-unquote, defense slash bioweapons labs. And actually, a group of scientists in 2015, some 700 scientists, signed a petition 
um, to the NIH saying, you're totally distorting our field with all of this funding um, for bioweapons. Um, and it was Fauci who responded, who basically said the American people have spoken uh, by electing their political leadership. He's referring to the Bush-Cheney administration there. Um, and this is what the political leadership wants. And uh, he fundamentally said, uh, I linked to this New York Times story about this from 2015 in, in my Salon piece. He, he basically says, if we don't have a seat at the table, then it's just going to go through the military. So, you know, to be basically telling the, the scientific community to put up or shut up. And since then, tons and tens and tens of billions of dollars have poured into the field further distorting the field, further making it, you know, effectively an arm of the so-called um, national security state. So I think that the, the threat there is, is, is very real, and this has predictably spawned other countries to, do, to similarly act. Uh, and so you have effectively a U.S.-led biological weapons arms race. Yeah, this is all very scary stuff. And you mentioned earlier China. And, you know, I remember when I did the interview with Francis Boyle, he's pointing out that it most likely leaked from the Wuhan lab. So from China. And then I was kind of a bit dismayed when I heard uh, Senator Tom Cotton coming out, uh, building up this kind of anti-China narrative, because I mean, I don't think anyone wants war. And it seems, you know, China has replaced the, the Soviet Union in this new cold war. And so we've switched from Russia now to China. And I mean, I think we can look at things, we don't have to go into one category, you know, and it, they seem to be skipping the, the part that the US was funding that Wuhan lab. So then ultimately, I think responsibility would go back to the US and not solely China. So they, they, they seem to now be building a narrative that it's only China and, you know, forgetting about that funding that went to the Wuhan lab. Again, you have different tentacles of the U.S. government and establishment, and I think that they, they, they uh, Trump administration or the NIH, I'm not sure which, cut off the funding for the EcoHealth Alliance, which had been helping fund that Wuhan lab. So I don't know if that's a way to sweep that under the rug so that you, know, you can just focus on demonizing China. And I think the entire you know, sort of spectrum, it's been evident for some years, so the entire U.S. spectrum political spectrum, each political faction sort of demonizes an external enemy. Um, so you have, you know, Trump demonizing a lot of Muslims and Latinos, and then you had the Democratic establishment demonizing Russia, uh, at least for the last three years, if not longer. And now you have sort of a combination of the two from sort of the Tucker Carlson, you know, wing of the Republican Party and also Cotton, as well as, you know, you have Biden, who, who's uh, been a China basher of some stripe for many years. He's not simply trying to keep up with Trump. That, 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 that is a longstanding position of, of, um, of Biden's. So, yeah, I, I think that, that, that it, it is dangerous. And th the flip side of that is that you have other people like David Ignatius in the Washington Post, as well as the Chinese ambassador to the U.S. and others, basically saying, oh, no, we have to cooperate. And I, I disagree with both positions. I disagree with demonizing China, and I disagree with the notion that the U.S. and Chinese government need to cooperate if cooperate 
as they mean it, means to find a way to collude. You know, th- this is basically what you have with the U.S. and Russia in terms of nuclear weapons. The U.S. and Russia basically enter into an, an agreement of sabotaging, uh, you know, attempts to uh, uh, reduce or eliminate, as with the nuclear weapons ban treaty, um, nuclear weapons. So when 122 countries tried several years ago and the group behind it got the Nobel Peace Prize to try to eliminate nuclear weapons, that was fundamentally sabotaged by the U.S. and Russia. And I think that we need to stand in opposition to that. Uh, You know, saying that you don't want them to collude against humanity isn't the same as saying you want them to have a war. We want them to both be accountable and to both meaningfully disarm. You know, one of my last questions was related to to censorship, and you've written about uh, on your website husseini.posthaven.com. You've written about uh, you you attend public briefings uh, and events, and you question, you give hard questions to pu- public officials, and they don't like taking your questions. They, I think, you've written how they avoid you, and I think you were, if I'm not mistaken, you attended that uh, meeting and you were kicked out. Uh, if if it was, uh, I think, in Helsinki. So can you? Speak a little bit about your experience uh, in, in trying to uh, ask these public officials uh, questions and being right. censored or, or criticized. Right, right. Well, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I was I was just thinking about that because that that was you know related to the nuclear weapons ban treaty. That was I, I went to Helsinki, uh, covered it for the Nation magazine, and attempted to ask Trump and Putin about nuclear weapons ban treaty, why they were standing in the way of these. 122 countries trying to ban nuclear weapons. And, you know, how am I going to get a question in when you have all, you know, a a ton of room full of media? So I had a little sign that said nuclear weapons ban. And I thought that, you know, I I stood a chance if I held up the sign of Trump or Putin, um, you know, you know, sort of impulsively calling on me. And um, that's not how it went down. Um, uh, They ended up, you know, seeing that I had a sign and, literally dragging me out of the hall and I was uh, locked up for six hours until the until uh, the media centers closed at around midnight um, Helsinki time so that effectively I couldn't get my message out and you know I mean sometimes I do get a question and for example at the now shuttered National Press Club in on February 11th I asked the CDC about the Wuhan lab And they said, no, it's uh, of animal origin. And then I said, well, those two things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. That is, and and audio of this is is on my website as well. I said, those two things aren't mutually exclusive, are they? Because you could have it of animal origin, but the lab could have collected it from uh, these bat caves that people have pointed to, which are a thousand miles away from Wuhan, where the outbreak happened and where the labs are. So, those two things aren't mutually exclusive, and they, they wouldn't answer that. And I thought that that was that was very interesting. I think you can learn a lot from what they don't answer. So I, I think that both restricting and taming media from answering tough questions, the fact that so-called independent media has become so timid, and I, I know that your interview with Francis Boyle, who... I, I don't necessarily fully agree with because uh, he's saying that it was bioengineered and I've not seen that, or you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not seeing scientists, any scientists other than 
the, the French Nobel Prize winner in medicine, I believe. But, but, but both his interview and the Nobel Prize uh, winner in medicine's interview have been either flagged or outright censored on corporate social uh, media, what's called social media, but what is actually just another name for uh, unaccountable uh, corporate media. Uh, I've also um, seen attempts by corporate social media to go after Last American Vagabond, which is where Whitney Webb is um, writing. I think she's doing some very interesting work. She used to write for Mint Press and did a series on uh, uh, the whole Jeffrey Epstein story and his connections to various um, power centers. And uh, she uh, and they they I think got demonetized on YouTube. So you you see a whole series of layers of how um, various institutions, including corporate media institutions, uh, attempt to rein in critical information. Yeah, I was actually supposed to interview Whitney this weekend, but she's been oh. very busy. So we'll see what what happens. Oh. Yeah, they do. I, I, uh -huh. I didn't realize I was just filler for Whitney. That's okay. <laughs> no, no, I try to line up as many people as I can get, and they do good work at Last American uh, Vagabond. And this censorship is is frightening. It seems like it's just they're turning up the dial, and uh, there's people like uh, uh, I think his name Dave Dave Rubin from the Rubin Report. He he thinks that within within two years that YouTube will only have like verified voices. So some of us are slowly you know, backing up our files and interviews on the alternative channels. Uh, but we're still, we're still doing our thing. We're still going uh, strong. Are there any other uh, items that, I, that you think are important that I haven't uh, brought up or any final thought to leave us with? I think we, I think we covered a, a, lot of, a lot of ground. I would emphasize, as you say, that, that there's a need for, uh, you know, an information backbone of some sort, whether that's an open source um, social media platform or other things. The, the, there's been a failure of science and there's been a failure uh, of, of media and of places to, you know, honestly debate, you know, factual things to bring in people who disagree um, and not, not the, you know, pundification um, and nonstop spin that you see on CNN and so on. I mean, actually debating um, real uh, real issues. So I think that that's been tremendous. I don't want to say failure because <laughs> it's very functional for the establishment um, that we that we don't have those those critical discussions. Um, but I think that I don't even want to say the left. I want to say people who want peace, uh, non interventionists, and so on. Uh, I, I think need to really scrutinize the issue of biological warfare and the tremendous threat that 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 it poses to humanity. I think that there isn't enough paid attention paid to the threat of nuclear warfare, and there's even less uh, attention, uh, including by myself until recently, uh, to um, to to the threat of um, of biological warfare. I like how you put it, uh, people who want peace and non-interventionists. That fits under umbrella, uh, an umbrella, a wide variety of people. And so I guess we would point listeners to your website, which is husseini.posthaven.com, correct? Correct. And my last two pieces, as well as my questioning uh, of the CDC on February 11th, is up there, as well as many past pieces.
Um, and, and I hope to continue writing on this. And you're, you're, you're also on Twitter, which is a valuable uh, resource information that you post there. And we for thank now. you hmm, for now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So we thank you, Mr. Husseini, for the work that you do, for asking uh, the critical questions, for getting kicked out of uh, uh, conferences for us <laughs> and for fi fighting for a more peaceful world. Thank, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast and interview. I would like to remind you that our website is geopoliticsandempire.com and you can sign up for our mailing list that goes out each weekend with the latest podcast and a long collection of important news headlines. It's good to sign up for the newsletter in case we experience censorship and deplatforming. You can help the Geopolitics and Empire podcast by subscribing to and interacting with all of our channels such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Gab, Minds, and Steemit. You can also help us by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast platforms such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Spreaker, and so on. Finally, if you value our work and our mission and would like to see us continue interviewing experts from across the political spectrum, please consider leaving a one-time donation via PayPal or Bitcoin or becoming a regular monthly supporter on our Patreon. All the links can be found on geopoliticsandempire.com. Thanks for listening.